Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled Emerging Treatment for Anemia of CKD HIF-PH Inhibitors is provided by Clinical Care Options, LLC and is supported by an educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to Medical Minute 3, Emerging Treatment for Anemia of CKD HIF-PHI Inhibitors. My name is Jay Wish. I'm Professor of Clinical Medicine at Indiana University and Chief Medical Officer for Outpatient Dialysis at Indy University Health in Indianapolis. Here you see my disclosures. Our learning objective for this session will be to summarize the efficacy and safety data for HIF-PH inhibitors compared with conventional treatment of anemia for CKD. First question is, how many patients with CKD do you provide care for in a typical week? And you have six choices. Please enter your vote. Our pre-survey question is, in a randomized open-label phase three trial, which of the following best describes the primary outcome of daprotostat versus an injectable ESA in patients with CKD undergoing dialysis? You have four choices. Please enter your vote. An outline for our presentation is on this slide. We'll discuss the mechanisms of action of the HIF-PHIs especially the role of the oxygen-sensing pathway and how the FPHIs leverage this pathway to treat anemia and CKD. We'll explore the investigational evidence to date, including phase three efficacy compared with ESA and adverse events, including cardiovascular safety with some controversy and discussion of this issue, as well as the potential place for FPHIs in the treatment of anemia of chronic kidney disease. This pathway was discovered by William Kalin, Peter Radcliffe, and Greg Semenza, who were awarded the 2019 Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology for this discovery. HIF, or hypoxia-inducible factor, is a family of oxygen-sensitive proteins that regulate the cell's transcriptional response to hypoxia. So, in other words, this is how our body and the body of other animals respond to a decrease in oxygen delivery to the tissues. It turns out that it's a central regulator of erythropoiesis in response to hypoxia, including the production of erythropoietin or EPO, an indirect suppression of hepcidin by this promotion of erythropoiesis, augmentation of enteric iron absorption and transport, and mobilization of endogenous iron stores to the erythroid marrow to make more iron available as a building block for hemoglobin synthesis. HIF is a heterodimer consisting of two subunits an alpha subunit and a beta subunit. The alpha subunit is continuously produced and degraded if oxygen is available to the tissue. The beta subunit is continuously present. The mechanism for the regulation of the alpha subunit is shown in this slide. Each alpha has two proline residues, which can be hydroxylated by HIF-PH, HIF-prolohydroxylase, in the presence of oxygen. The other necessary cofactors for this reaction include iron and 2-oxyglutarate, also known as alpha-ketoglutarate. If oxygen is present and these other cofactors are also available, the two proline residues are hydroxylated, as you see with the OH, and this changes the configuration of the molecule so it is recognized and under, undergoes degradation by von Hippel-Landau protein and ubiquitin. If low oxygen tension is present, or a chemical compound is used that interferes with the interaction with 2-oxyglutarate, which is how these hif prolohydroxylase inhibitors work, then the proline residues on the HIF-alpha are 
not hydroxylated, and the HIF-alpha basically escapes degradation, migrates to the nucleus, where it dimerizes with HIF-beta, which is continuously present. This HIF-heterodimer then allows for the transcription of a variety of genes known as hypoxia-responsive elements, or HRE. And these genes include not only the erythropoietin gene, but also the EPO receptor, uh, dimetyl transporter 1, and duodenocytochrome B, which improve enteric absorption of iron, transferrin, which carries iron through the body to the erythroid marrow. There's also an upregulation of the transferrin receptor, as well as ceruloplasmin, which helps convert divalent iron to trivalent iron for carriage by transferrin. There is a family of compounds that have been developed to interfere with the degradation of HIF-alpha, and these have been called HIF-prolohydroxylase inhibitors, HIF-PHIs, or HIF-stabilizers. The advantage of these compounds over conventional therapy for renal anemia, which basically includes ESAs, which have to be administered parenterally, is that these are all small molecules that can be administered orally. They are reversible. So the HIF transcriptional activity returns to baseline between the doses, and this minimizes any off-target effects of HIF stabilization that might react with other undesirable outcomes. There are three agents in this class that are currently undergoing development in the United States, Roxudostat, Vatidustat, and Daprotostat. On the right-hand side of the slide, you can see the chemical formulas, but the main thing that I want to point out with to you is that the right portion of each of these formulas is similar, and this is basically the analog of 2-oxyglutarate, which displaces this essential cofactor from the hif hydroxylate complex and renders it ineffective in degrading HIF-alpha. You can see in this slide the pharmacologic profiles of these three HIF stabilizers that are underdeveloped in the United States. The half-life is different so that the dosing schedule between these agents is also different. Roxudostat is administered three times weekly. Vadudostat and Daprotostat were originally considered once daily treatment, but phase two studies with Vadudostat indicated that it can be administered three times weekly, and phase three studies with Daprotostat indicated that it can be effectively administered three times weekly. You can see the plasma EPO levels uh, for each of these agents, which is in the 30 to 100 or so range. And this is significantly less than the plasma EPO levels that are achieved following a single injection of erythropoietin alpha. The relative activity of each of these agents for the prolohydroxylase domain enzymes, and there are three of them, PhD1, 2, and 3, are seen on the bottom line of this table. And they are somewhat different between the two agents. Whether this has any clinical significance remains to be seen. So Rexudisat is the first-in-class HIF stabilizer. Uh, it had a large global phase three clinical trial of about 4,000 patients in non-dialysis and another 4,000 patients undergoing dialysis. Its new drug application was rejected by the FDA in August 2011 due to safety concerns particularly regarding uh, access thrombosis and venous thromboembolism. However, the new drug application was approved by the European Medicines Agency, which is like the FDA for the European Union, 
later in August of 2021. And Roxuda said has also been previously approved in China, Japan, Chile, and South Korea, and was subsequently approved in the United Kingdom. Badutistat has been approved in Japan. Its new drug application uh, was submitted to the FDA in June of 2021 and rejected in March of 2022. Their global phase three clinical trials were presented at ASN 2020 Kidney Week and published subsequently in the New England Journal on April 29, 2021. Uh, there are two major studies, the Innovate studies in dialysis-dependent patients, both insulin and prevalent, and the PROTECT studies in the non-dialysis patients, including both ESA-naive and previously ESA-treated patients, and Darby Poetin was the comparator in both of those trials. Daprutistat has also been approved in Japan. There are five global phase three studies, which you can see here, for incident dialysis patients given three times weekly in prevalent dialysis patients, an NHQ study, which looks specifically at quality of life versus placebo, the dialysis study, which included about 3,000 prevalent dialysis patients, and the non-dialysis or ND study, which included about 4,000 non-dialysis patients. The results from the D and ND studies were reported at ASN 2021 Kidney Week and published simultaneously in the New England Journal ahead of print in November 2021. And the FDA Cardiorenal Drug Advisory Committee uh, just a short time ago on October 26, 2022, voted 13 to 3 for its approval in dialysis-dependent patients and 11 to 5 against approval in non-dialysis patients. These recommendations of the cardiorenal panel are not binding, and the ultimate disposition of the new drug application for Deprudistat by the FDA has yet to occur. Now, this slide summarizes the mean hemoglobin changes from baseline in non-dialysis patients for the large phase three clinical trials of the HIF stabilizers, Adidustat, Droxidustat, and Deprotostat. On the left-hand side of the slide, you can see the placebo-controlled trials involving Roxudostat versus placebo, and almost all of them indicated about two gram per DL increase in hemoglobin uh, versus placebo uh, over the course of the study. On the right-hand side of the slide, you can see the studies that were done with a Darby-Poetin comparator, the Dolomite study for Roxudostat, the PROTECT correction and conversion study, correction being ESA-naive, and conversion study being ESA-previously treated, and the ASCEND-ND patients uh, in the Daprotostat. And you see very easily uh, by the length of the bars that the efficacy was pretty much non-distinguishable uh, to that of Darby-Poetin. In this slide, you can see the mean hemoglobin changes from baseline in dialysis patients uh, among the three HIF-PHIs that we've mentioned. Uh, for the pool analysis, incident and prevalent patients uh, using Roxudostat, Vatidustat, and Daprotostat, uh, the differences uh, between the hemoglobin achieved and that of Daprotostat were felt to be clinically insignificant, and any small differences were attributed to the dosing protocols for the HIF-PHI and not to any inherent differences in efficacy either between the agents or compared to the controlled Daprotostat, as a controlled Darby-Poetin. Here you see the hemoglobin and non-inferiority margins that were used during these main randomized controlled trials of the HIF-PHIs. Uh, Roxudostat, Vatudostat, and Daprotostat had a hemoglobin target that depended upon whether the study was conducted in the U.S. or outside the U.S. 
In the U.S., the hemoglobin target was generally 10 to 11, and outside the U.S., it was generally 10 to 12. The non-inferiority margin for MACE, you can see, uh, was 1.3 for Rexudostat, 1.25 for Vatidustat in the U.S., and 1.3 outside the U.S., and for Daprotostat, it was 1.2 and subsequently changed to 1.25. And again, on the right side of the slide, you can see the main competitor. For non-dialysis patients, again, the hemoglobin target range depended upon whether it was a U.S. or non-U.S. study, and the non-inferiority margin for MACE was similar for each agent as to what occurred in the dialysis study, a little higher for Rexudostat, 1.25 for Vatidustat in the United States, and 1.25 for Daprotostat. I should point out the non-inferiority margin of 1.3 of Roxudistat was not agreed with by the sponsor in the FDA prior to the design of the study, whereas the other agents, Vatidustat and Daprotistat, their upper margin of MACE non-inferiority was, in fact, agreed upon with the agency. So what did the FDA decide regarding these agents? There were safety issues that, as you already saw, led to the rejection by the FDA of Roxudostat and Vatidostat. For Roxudostat in non-dialysis patients versus placebo, there was an increased incidence of thrombotic events, including DVT and pulmonary embolus, increased seizures, and increased infections. In Roxudostat versus dialysis patients, the, the MACE non-inferiority margin of 1.30, as I said, was not pre-specified by the FDA, and that is, in fact, what the non-inferiority margin was, and the FDA pre-specified a 1.25 margin uh, for the other two agents, as you recall. There was an increase, increased incidence of DVT and vascular excess thrombosis versus VSA for Roxudostat and dialysis patients. For Vadudistat versus ESA, it did not achieve the pre-specified MACE non-inferiority upper bound of 1.25. There was an increased incidence of thrombotic events, including DVT and pulmonary embolus, and there was suspicion of some drug-induced liver injury. There was mild increases in transaminases, which resolved following discontinuation of the drug, but nonetheless, the FDA was sufficiently concerned that this was one of the factors that led to its failure to approve the drug. In dialysis patients versus ESA, uh, the FDA claimed that there was increased vascular excess thrombosis and drug-induced liver injury, uh, but this is actually not supported very well by the published data. The FDA Cardiorenal Drug Advisory Committee, which met regarding Daprotostat in October of 2022, uh, it, the drug met the specified MACE non-inferiority upper bound confidence interval of 1.25. However, there was increased incidence of hospitalization for heart failure among patients with a previous history of heart failure. You can see the hazard ratio of 1.51. Uh, there was increased incidence of what were called serious esophageal and gastric erosions. You can see the confident, the hazard ratio of 1.96. However, I should point out uh, that this did not lead to any differences in the achieved hemoglobin levels or increases in transfusion rates among the uh, daprotostat-treated patients versus ESA. There was also an increased incidence of kidney injury, 1.47, but this did not lead to any increase in the rate of decline of overall kidney function or uh, increased mortality or need for dialysis. For dialysis-dependent patient versus ESA, the major safety issues raised by the FDA 
which, however, did not interfere with the approval of the drug by the cardiovascular renal committee, included the fact that it did meet the pre-specified MACE non-inferiority upper bound of 1.25. The hospitalization for heart failure here was a 1.44 hazard ratio, but you can see the 95% confidence interval crossed one, making it not statistically significant. And there was increased hazard ratio of 1.16 for serious esophageal and gastric erosions, but again, the 95% confidence interval crossed one, making it uh, of questionable statistical significance. So next question is, in a randomized open-label phase three trial, which of the following best describes the primary outcome of that protostat versus an injectable ESA in patients with CKD undergoing dialysis? You have four options. Please enter your vote. So to summarize the cardiovascular safety of HIF stabilizers in non-dialysis-dependent CKD patients, as you saw, there were more thrombotic events with roxutistat versus placebo. But this may have been related to the duration of exposure as the placebo-treated patients dropped out of the study much earlier than those uh, receiving roxutistat because not having their anemia treated, uh, they were much more symptomatic and were, in fact, more likely to start on dialysis because of many of these symptoms. Badutistat, as you saw, failed to demonstrate MACE non-inferiority ESA. It crossed the pre-specified upper bound of the confidence interval for MACE of 1.25. And daprotostat did demonstrate based on inferiority ESA in the primary intention to treat analysis, but not in the support of on-treatment analysis. In dialysis-dependent patients, roxutistat demonstrated a higher rate of thrombotic events, including vascular excess thrombosis versus the ESA, which was the main reason why the FDA rejected the dialysis indication for this drug. Badutistat also demonstrated based on inferiority but as I mentioned, the FDA claimed that there was a higher rate of thrombotic events, uh, which was not supported by published data. And finally, Deprotostat did demonstrate MACE non-inferiority ESA in the primary intention to treat analysis and also in the secondary on-treatment analysis, which is probably the reason why the CRDAC voted positively to recommend approval of the drug in the dialysis setting. So the potential place for HIF-PHIs in therapy, they are administered orally. So for patients who are currently receiving injectable ESAs, especially non-dialysis patients, uh, this may be a more patient-friendly uh, way to give a treatment for anemia since the patient can take the oral drug at home rather than having to come to a healthcare provider to receive erythropoietin-stimulating agent injections. If PHIs have been shown to have beneficial effects on our metabolism, as I showed you, part of their mechanism of action is to increase the transcription of a variety of iron transport proteins, both in the gastrointestinal tract and in the reticulum endothelial system, increasing the delivery of iron to the erythroid marrow, which may make them more effective than ESAs or not iron replete. However, the decrease in iron requirements among dialysis-dependent patients receiving daprotostat and roxutostat, where it was actually assessed, uh, was not felt to be of significant clinical benefit. For non-dialysis CKD patients with severe anemia who are undertreated with current therapy, 
Uh, as you may be aware, they are more likely to have received a transfusion than an ESA during the two years prior to a dialysis initiation. Again, the barriers to ESA treatment leaves many of these patients inadequately served as far as raising their hemoglobin. And then when the hemoglobin gets low enough and the patients become symptomatic, they end up getting transfused. We do not favor transfusions as a treatment for CKD anemia because transfusions can lead to allosensitization, which decreases the potential pool of transplant donors for that patient and also increases the likelihood of rejection of the transplanted organ. Also, the uh, HIF-PHIs may offer a more convenient anemia treatment than ESAs in the expanding home dialysis population. Again, the major advantage of HIF-PHIs being their oral route of administration, so the patients can take them at home rather than having to travel to their dialysis center to receive the injectable ESA. And as you may be aware, the home dialysis population is expanding uh, because of a variety of federal incentives to keep more patients at home uh, to increase their quality of life and to decrease the overall cost of the end-stage renal disease program. So now take the test to earn CME or CE credit for this activity. Please click the claim credit button on the left of your screen. Thanks very much for your attention. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Clinical Care Options, LLC, and is supported by an educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.